Good morning and welcome to our morning service. Indeed, it's good to see you folks here this morning. And uh, as well, for those who are joining us on Zoom, a welcome to you as well. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence again, rejoicing for the day that you have made for us. And Lord, for being able to gather together here to hear the word of God, to sing praises unto you. Lord, to take time out of the busyness of the week to concentrate on the love of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, we pray that you would bless your word as Pastor Floyd will open the word to us this morning again. Awaken our hearts and minds, we pray to it that we might take it in, be obedient to it, and, Lord, to be encouraged and strengthened with it. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. We're thankful to have Pastor Floyd Wilson with us this morning, and he will come now uh, to read the scripture. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 104, verses 24 through 35. Psalm 104. Psalm 104, starting at verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. These all wait for you that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, they are filled with good. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills, and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth, and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we praise you for your great love. Your great love that you bestow upon all humanity. You sent the Lord Jesus Christ to come, to be Savior, to die on the cross, making a sacrifice sufficient to save anyone who repents and believes. And Lord, we're glad 
that your invitation to repent and believe extends to everyone. And we trust that people who have heard this good news will have responded to your Spirit's call in their hearts and minds to receive Christ as their Savior and Lord. And Lord, for those who have received Christ, we are so thankful for our identity in Christ. For indeed we are sons and daughters of the King. Please help us to honor your name each day, not just here in this place, but everywhere we go. And help us, Lord, to grow, to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for wanting to guide us in the decisions that we make. We are your children, and you want the best for us, and you want to help us choose wisely. Teach us to recognize as you show us what you want us to do or not to do each day of our lives. And right now we want to pause so that each person here can pray for those they know who may be facing difficult situations. And Lord, as we continue in prayer, we want to rejoice with those who have experienced your provision, whether it's ourselves or someone else that we we know and is close to us. Help us to thank you now. And Lord, as we prayed before, There may still be people, even possibly someone here, who is confused and deceived and alienated from you. Lord, may your spirit work in their minds and hearts and wills so that they will come to repent of their sin and trust in Christ. And when they do, help them to have courage to share the commitment that they have made with someone else. And may believers come alongside to assist and encourage them in their new walk with you. And so, Lord, bless us all as we continue in our worship today and our living for you as we go home and out into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, brother, welcome. And the Lord bless as you open the word to us. Thank you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in this time of the service, we want to open our hearts and minds to hear what you are saying to us through your word, especially from the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And so may your blessing be upon us and our thoughts and our applications of what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to know who you are, you need to understand where you have come from. The biblical record is is an essential part of your history and mine. Since only God was present at the beginning, only he can reveal what happened then. Previously, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 23, we examined the record of the eternal triune God creating the heavens and the earth from nothing that pre-existed. On the first day, 
in verses 2 through 5, God created the substance of a water-covered earth, rotating before a light that he produced. And that was the beginning of time. On the second day, in verses 6 through 8, God stretched out the sky to divide the waters in the clouds above from the waters on the surface of the earth. On the third day, in verses 9 through 13, God separated the waters on the surface of the earth with dry land. He then created vegetation to grow on that dry land. On the fourth day, in verses 14 through 19, God replaced the special light of the first day with the sun for the daytime and the moon for the nighttime. Plus, he made the stars, including Pollock's. <laughs> On the fifth day, in verses 20 through 23, God made the creatures that live in water and the birds that fly in the sky. Both water and sky creatures were able to reproduce themselves according to their kind. Everything that God created was good. And this brings us to the sixth day in verses 24 through 31 of Genesis 1. So I begin by reading Genesis 1, 24 and 25. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. These two verses describe God's creation of the various kinds of animals that live on the dry land. Each kind of living creature reproduced and over time diversified into various species, including those we are familiar with here in Canada. The fact that some of these different species around the world can interbreed is evidence that they are descended from the same created kind. Did you know that the lion and the tiger can interbreed? The horse and the zebra can have offspring together. The wolf with the coyote or the dog. Now the words in these verses, beast, where it says beast and cattle, those are general terms for animals. They include far more than the domesticated cows that I grew up with on the farm. Um, we call them cattle, <laughs> but cattle is a very general term that can apply more than Holstein cows. <laughs> now, some of you have lived overseas. Do you know I have never been outside of North America? Now, some of you have gone to place to other continents, South America, Africa, Asia, Australia, whatever. I like you right now, and this is serious, I want you to tell me of an animal in some other continent. So tell me the name of the animal and the continent where you saw it. Okay, is there anybody? Oh, great. Okay. Anywhere else? Where? Monkeys. All right. We don't have many native monkeys here in North America. <laughs> I, I, well, anyway, I'll forget that. <laughs> okay, any other ones? That's North America. Okay. 
Okay, somewhere else? Another continent besides North America? Well, anyway, we've got a couple of examples there, so that's good. So after God made these creatures that live on land, as I read, he saw that they were good. The word good can convey a variety of meanings. In this Genesis 1 context, good is probably not meant in the moral sense of being opposed to evil. More likely, good refers to something's quality. In other words, it's good, it's not defective. Plus, the animals are good in the sense that the creator found these creatures beautiful to look at. Pleasant, in fact. Now, for you and me, yes, a bear looks beautiful, pleasant, impressive. A moose looks like that. Maybe uh, a tiger looks like that, or even a snake looks, looks interesting. But I sure don't want them for my pets, right? Okay, so out there, they're good. But for God, he loved them all. <laughs> he likes them all. So next comes the most important part of God's creation on day six. The animals is not the most important thing, right? Well, I think we think that. Because, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God's creation statement here begins with let us. The plural us signifies a multi-person being. God is triune. As the Bible continues, it will reveal that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three persons were involved in the creation events described here in Genesis. And then he said in verse 26, let us make man. Here, man refers to mankind. It's not just people of the male sex. God made the first man, and later on, on this same day six, he made a woman. Those who deny the reality of God and this day six creation must think of some other explanation for how we human beings got here. Evolutionists claim that unguided mutations over millions of years enabled a soup of various chemicals to become a human being. I believe their explanations are both unreasonable and impossible. There is no need for you and I to be ashamed of believing that God created the first man and woman. Christian leaders who compromise the Bible in an attempt to accommodate evolution should be ashamed of ignoring the scientific facts which validate Scripture. And then Genesis 1.26 continues, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, there's something unique about human beings. We are like God in various ways. God did not make any other creature in his image. We are the only ones who can relate to God in a personal way. We are an expression of his glory. We have the ability to reason 
and make decisions for which God holds us accountable. God's creation command in Genesis 1 verse 26 concludes with, let them, mankind, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This have dominion over means to rule over, to have authority over. God has given we human beings responsibility for the creatures of, in the rest of creation. We are to manage the creatures in the sea and in the air, as well as those living on the land. We are to use them responsibly, never forcing them into extinction, as I'm afraid has happened in past times. Here is Hannah's depiction of the sixth day from the Finding Wisdom books. Okay, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the added thing in that verse is that God created them male and female. Each human being is either one or the other genetically. Both males and females equally reflect God's image. Contrary to recent propaganda, one's sex cannot be transformed into a socially conditioned gender that a person chooses. Even the few individuals who have genital deformities at birth are either male or female. Sadly, some people get confused about whether they are male or female. Despite the reality of their physical characteristics, they have feelings within that hinder them from accepting their God-designed sexuality. Confused children fall under the influence of those who want to use them as ammunition for their political agenda. Others exploit them with surgeries that physically and psychologically devastate their lives. Those who are confused about their sexuality need compassionate yet truthful counsel and love. Most of all, they need to be inwardly born again of God's Spirit through repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the same as you and me. Jesus is the one who saves and transforms people from the inside out. Parents should help their children develop healthy attitudes about their bodies and the amazing changes that occur as the years pass by. It's wonderful to be of the female sex. It's just as wonderful to be of the male sex. I have to say that. Verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, this verse emphasizes the have dominion point that I already talked about from verse 26. But
but it adds concepts that we need to consider further. One thing it says is that God blessed them. The Lord said this already in verse 22 about the sea and the air creatures. He blessed them. But now he says it with regard to male and female human beings. He blessed them. So what does blessed mean? Blessed says, you are wonderful, just the way I created you. It implies God's provision so that the creatures and people he made can fulfill their purpose. God blesses you and me by providing for us what we need to live every day and to to do the things that God has planned for us. As we also learn in verse 28, blessing always involves responsibility. In verse 28, God commands people, first, to be fruitful and multiply. Having children is usually God's plan for a committed marriage relationship. When a couple is unable to have children, God has another special plan for them. But for those who can have children, there's always the question, how many should you have? The Bible suggests that more is better. In Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, and chapter 128, verses 3 and 4. I won't, won't read those, but it's like the arrows in the quiver and the sprouts around the, all the plants around the table or whatever. It, you can look those verses up. But it, more is better according to those verses. But sometimes wrong attitudes stand in that way of people having more children. People think, when our careers get established, then we'll think about having more children. Or when we get a big house, then we will have another child. Years ago, I did not have either of those two wrong attitudes. I had a pastor career, and we lived in a parsonage provided by the church. My wrong attitude was worse than either of those two. Early in the 1980s, we had three children. My selfish attitude was, children really tie you down. When these three grow up and leave the nest, then we will be free to go out and do whatever we want. So let's take precautions and not have any more. Can you believe that? I actually thought that. Seven years passed with no more children. Then God turned my heart toward the children. And that expression of turning my heart to the children is in Malachi chapter 4 and Luke chapter 1, if you want to look that up. And I also caught the Ephesians 6 vision of bringing up children in the training and admonition of the Lord. I came to believe that raising and training children for God's glory and kingdom service was the most important ministry that I could ever have. The belief that children are of great value to the Lord and vital for the growth of Christ's kingdom led us to have three more children, thank the Lord. Those three children that we had after God changed my heart are first Esther, who is Pastor Joshua Stone's wife. The second one 
was Deborah, right there, plays the piano. And the third one is Rebecca, a wife and mother in Thunder Bay. So after be fruitful and multiply, a second point in Genesis 1, verse 28, is fill the earth and subdue it. For many decades in the 20th century, experts were warning that the earth was having a population explosion. There are just too many people. There are going to be so many people that we're all going to starve to death. Now today, thankfully, that hype from the 20th century has died down. And many nations are starting to be greatly concerned about their shrinking populations. There won't be enough workers to maintain our economy. We're not going to have enough new people being born to take care of the baby boomers. boomers. Who's going to take care of me? You know what I mean? Like the thinking in the society has changed, or the experts. Okay, now we need more. They have different hypes today. Won't get into that. <laughs> but it requires people and their God-given mental and physical energy to harness the potential of God's creation. Remember, God said, fill the earth and subdue it. And for people to subdue the creation, to use it, to harness its potential, there needs to be many people who are working on it. Now, the example that I'm going to give you today, I could give many examples, but this one will be about harnessing the power of flowing, falling water. Now, I recently read a book called The Power to Lead, uh, given by Deborah <laughs> to me for my birthday in October, okay? And I've actually read the whole book, and, and so I'm, I'm going to refer to some things. This book is about... Canadian engineering pioneers, Henry G. Akers and Gerald G. Hatch. Hatch, you see it on a building on Regent Street, the Hatch building. Okay. As a young engineer, Henry Akers was involved in the development of the Canadian Niagara Power Company generating station, which operated from 1905 to 2006 and is now a tourist attraction. Now, Deborah did a tour of it, led by my oldest grandchild, Ethan, who was a tour guide there this summer. Okay, this, this engineer, Henry Akers, he proposed and led the project that resulted in the Sir Adam Beck One generating station in Niagara Falls, which opened in 1922. Can you show that there? Okay, that's it, Adam Beck One. Henry Akers died in 1945, but his engineering company continued. A three times larger and, and immediately adjacent Sir Adam Beck II generating station began producing power in 1954. There it is. Another Canadian engineer, Gerald Hatch, founded a company that has developed hydroelectric power plants in other places of Canada and in nations all around the world. In 2004, the Acres Company, from the first engineer I talked about, his company joined with the Hatch Company. And they're also involved in mining, and that's why their building is on Regent Street. But they, I'm just talking about the hydroelectric power today. 
Well, in 2013, that's just 10 years ago, Hatch Company, engineers, completed a 10-kilometer-long, that's a long, 12.7-meter diameter, that's a big one, tunnel in Niagara Falls to divert additional water from the Niagara River to the two Sir Adam Beck generating stations. So can you show them together there? There they are, together, okay? That's how it actually is if you go to Niagara Falls and, and can see it. And here the spinning or the falling water from the top there is going down through the turbines and generators to produce power for two million homes here in Ontario. So this Niagara River source of hydroelectric power here in our own province of Ontario exists because many people work together obeying God's creation mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. Reading on, verses 29 and 30. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Now these verses suggest that vegetation was the food for both people and beasts originally. It seems that at this point in the biblical narrative, everybody was a vegetarian. Okay, then reading verses 31 through chapter 2, verse 1. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. So as you can see from the picture, God has... Thank you. God has completed his creation work, and he did it in just six, 24 hours a day. I hope you can see the two... People there in the middle. And God said, when, when, when the picture is there, the whole creation is done, everything of his work was of the very finest quality, and he didn't just say it was good. He said it was very good. Very good. Okay. So Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. There was no creation work remaining for God to do on the seventh day. When these verses state that God rested, it does not mean that he was tired from all his previous six days of work. His rest is meant to set a pattern for us, people who do get tired after six days of work, and we need to have a time to rest our bodies and souls. When God rested, I believe he was also taking time to enjoy and celebrate what he had made. Sometimes I think we fail to 
take the time to enjoy and rejoice in the result of the things that we put effort into. We, we work, we make money, and buy a camp somewhere or something, and, or some object, and it takes a whole lot of our time and energy, work, 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 to keep up that thing so that we hardly have time to enjoy it. So maybe we could try to keep things in balance so we don't have too many things in life that we don't even have time to enjoy them because we are so busy to keep working to keep them from rusting out or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway, it's just something to keep in mind. But this emphasis on God resting from all his work in Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, has a greater meaning. It points ahead to the finished saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and rose again. When we put our trust in the Savior's finished work, we enter into God's rest, as it is taught to us in Hebrews chapter 4. The fact that God makes no statement about the morning and the evening on the seventh day implies that God's rest continues. Similarly, our rest in Jesus Christ through faith continues for all of our earthly life, and it continues on into eternity forever. No wonder God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Let us pray. Lord, help us not to miss out on your rest by failing to trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord. And if there's somebody here who has heard of what you did at the beginning of history and how it relates to what you did as the climax of human history in Christ's coming as our Savior and Lord and the and the new creation work that he did on the cross and in his resurrection. Lord, help every one of us who was here to trust in you, to repent of our sins, knowing that we needed a Savior, and to trust in you for forgiveness and the new life that only you can give, and for the assurance that we have an eternal future before us. Lord, thank you for your marvelous original creation work and your new creation work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.